Why don't you stand to your feet? We honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to share together our theme verse. We we read this out loud together every week. And uh, and so would you, we got it coming up on the screen there. We're going to read this together. All right, there it is. Are you ready? Are you ready, church? No, listen, listen. We're going to get this out the way. If you don't talk back to me, I'm just... Uh, don't be a boring listener, please. Okay, I uh, I will speak I will speak boring if you don't respond to me. But if you talk back, then I'm gonna talk good, and uh, and we're gonna have a good time. So, are you with me today, church? There yeah. we go. We're going to have a great time. Let's read this together at the count of three. One, two, three. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. And I want you to turn to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. This is a familiar parable, one that you are probably familiar with. We won't read this out loud, but just listen for a moment this wonderful parable from Jesus. It says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered goods to them. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability. Immediately he went on a journey. When he had re- then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five. And likewise, he who received two gained two more. But he who received the one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came to settle accounts with them. So he he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. The Lord said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. How many of you would love to hear that invitation at the appearing of Jesus? Wow. Look, verse 22. It says, He who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Verse 24. He who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. I was afraid. I hid your talent in the ground. Look, here is what is yours. The Lord answered and said, wicked, lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. You ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would receive back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him, give it to him who has ten. For everyone who has, more will be given. He will have abundance, but from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Oh, my. How many of you would like to be the recipient of weeping and gnashing of teeth? All right, making sure you're paying attention. How many of you would love to receive the joy of the Lord as a good and faithful servant? Uh, all right. We're going to pray that the Lord help us with this. You guys are with me. I can tell. This is, we're going to have a good time today. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord's hand on his word as we open it. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the instruction and the correction and the, the encouragement that you bring to us through your word. And Lord, I'm just asking that today you would release an anointing to receive and to share your word together. Let your Holy Spirit be made known throughout this time. And God, I bind the works of the enemy. He who would seek to distract or distort or can confuse or uproot the word of God as it comes forward. Give us liberty in receiving your word today. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody say amen. amen. <laughs> you may be seated. Hallelujah. Now you guys are going to have to try hard to keep up with the energy on this side, okay? So <laughs> I want to talk today, you know, our, our series is called First Steps. Everybody say First Steps. We've been dealing with this idea of what do we as a church believe? What are things that we need to center around as a body of believers? I realize I'm, I just stand in awe as I look at what the Lord is doing. We have been gathering as a church for just over a year now. And I realize that most of us have come from very different backgrounds. Some of us came from Catholic backgrounds. Some of us came from Baptist backgrounds. Some of us came from a spirit-filled Pentecostal Assembly of God, Foursquare, Charismatic, non-denominational, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Methodist. Uh, yeah, and, and my personal favorite, heathen. How many of you came out of the Church of the Heathen? Yeah, me too. And uh, so, you know, you, you come into a house of God and you might wonder, well, what does this church believe? Uh, you've probably got a pretty good picture of where we fall on certain things. You know, we're laying hands on people. We're passionate in worship. But let me just tell you some of the things that we center around. We believe that the shed blood of Jesus is the only means by which man can be saved. Somebody say amen. amen. If... You have a system, a belief system that says, well, I think there's many paths to heaven. I think there are many gods that could lead to a, a eternal bliss in paradise. I'm going to just warn you, I'm going to offend you every single Sunday. Because I'm going to call people to repentance in the name of Jesus. I'm going to call people to surrender their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that you'll come on board with that. Because I fear for your soul if you don't, candidly. I believe, and I, I believe that we should all share in the fact that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. It is living. It is active. It is life-transforming. And so we highly value the Bible in this church. Amen? We believe that prayer is the lifeblood of the church and our lives. If we lose in the place of prayer, friend, we're going to lose everywhere. That's why we take time to pray in every one of our services. We pray at the beginning of the service. We pray for those who need healing in their bodies. We take time to activate you to pray. We're going to pray later on in the service. We pray for souls to get saved. We pray for fruit that remains. I mean, 
we're pretty much one prayer meeting with like a sermon interjected halfway through. You understand? And I, I have no issue with that. Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. You got it. So we pray. And we believe in prayer. We believe in the local church. Right? I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're doing something. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. We also, uh, you're going to learn this about us. We love the Holy Ghost. You love the Holy Ghost? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, Holy Spirit. Uh, I like Holy Ghost. I don't, maybe it's because I started reading the King James Bible. Uh, it just it feels more, I don't know a word for it, you know, authoritative, right? Uh, the Holy Ghost. All right, never mind. The holy, holy, anyway. But I want to talk today about a very important topic. I, uh, again, I'm, I'm dealing with things that, you know, maybe you're new to the body of Christ. Or maybe you're just coming on, on board with Jesus. And you're like, well, what should I adhere to? What are things that are important to me? What I'm dealing with today, this principle that Jesus laid out is one of the most important, I think, for our entire lives. My goal as a pastor, hear me on this, my heart and my mission is to make you look good on Judgment Day. That is my life goal. That is my assignment. You know, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 says that God gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the establishing of the body of Christ. That means, I want you to hear me on this, my job as a pastor is not to do the work of the ministry. My job as a pastor is to get you doing the work of the ministry. That's why I'm always going to bother you. Get in a life group. Serve in a ministry. Do a booth at Candy Lane, right? Uh, uh, you know, help us, whatever. I'm always going to be bothering you to do something for Jesus. And if it's not in the house of God, well, I rejoice in the fact that we've got people who have a burden for the homeless and who have burden for orphan kids and who have a burden for government and have a burden for politics. We need individuals who are going to share in all of those. And my job is to fill you up, help bring out a word that's going to encourage and equip you so that you can take what God is doing in you outside the four walls of this church. I want you to hear me on this. I believe that the success of a church is measured not in how many bodies we have come through on a Sunday, but it's by the, we measure the success of our church by the impact we have in the community between Monday and Saturday. We could have a thousand people come through here on a weekend, but if we don't make a dent in the community, we're failing as a church. Are you hearing me today? And so we could have 10 people in the house of God. But they're doing radical things to transform schools and government and they're serving people in the community and they're ministering and they're being an agent for healing. I say that church is more on par with the heart of God than a church that's got hundreds and thousands and doing nothing for Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we ought to be a small church that's doing stuff. No, I want to be a church of thousands that is impacting thousands. I want to be a church of thousands that's touching the nations of the earth. But I need you guys to participate in that. Amen. So, we want to talk about this idea called stewardship. Everybody say stewardship. stewardship. 
You know what stewardship is? Well, the definition is a person who is employed to manage another's property. A large house or an estate uh, to manage or to look after another's property. Another definition is a person hired to care for a house, workforce, means, or an estate. Did you know everything that you have in this life is a gift from God? The fact that you woke up today with breath in your lungs, health in your body, that is a gift from God. That person that you woke up in the house with, your children, your spouse, they are a gift from God. This church, this isn't Pastor Jacob's church, this isn't even Dr. Morocco's church. This is the Lord's church. Jesus said, I will build my church. You understand what we do? We are stewards of what God has trusted us with. This, as much as I would love to lay claim to her, this is not my wife. This is the Lord's daughter of the most, this is the daughter of the most high God. And the Lord has trusted me for my life here on this earth to be a steward over his own. Now I will say she's mine, you can't have her. Okay? Because I'm taking ownership. The same with my daughter. The same with my son. I am a steward. God has trusted me with these souls that sit right here on this front row for this lifetime. And one day, I don't know if this freaks you out. One day, the master, the Lord in this passage is going to come to me. And he is going to judge me in accordance to how I stewarded what he trusted me with. All of us need to understand this. Every single one of us, the finances that the Lord has allowed us to have, it's not just that 10% belongs to the Lord. No, 100% of the finances that are in your bank account, in your wallet, it all belongs to Him, and you are a steward over what God has given you. The gifts and the talents, you can play an instrument, you're good with your words, you've got a business mind, you're good with numbers, uh, uh, whatever your skill or your talent may be, that is a gift that God has planted in your life and you are to be a faithful steward over what has God has given you and one day we will give an account for what we did with what God gave us. I want you to get this. I know this has the potential to get heavy, but I think we can stay happy throughout this. There are a number of things that we need to be mindful of if we want to be called a good and a faithful servant. Number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. A faithful steward acknowledges the call of God. A faithful steward acknowledges the call of God. You'll notice that Jesus began this parable in verse 14. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. He called his servants. Everybody say, he called them. This is the first thing. You want to be faithful with what God has trusted you with? Uh, it would be a good idea for us to maybe get, come to grips with what he's called us to do. You understand you've got the call of God on your life. Every single person within the sound of my voice, you have a call from God. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you've got a call on your life. Look at your other neighbor and tell him, you've got the call of God on your life. Come on, in the upper room, tell him, you've got the call of God on your life. All right, some of you aren't paying attention. That's fine. 
You have the call of God. It's very important. It's the very first thing that the master did. He called his servants to himself. He called them and began to entrust them with things. And I just want to tell you, did you know that if you are in tune with the call that God has placed on your life, if you're walking to the best of your ability in the call of God, he has already given you everything you need to be faithful in his eyes. This is a big statement. But even 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says, His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by glory and virtue. So when you receive the call of God and you're walking in the knowledge of God, the Bible says that He has through His power given you everything you need to accomplish His will. That's a big statement. Question, do you know Jesus? Okay, if you know Jesus and your desire is to walk in the call of God, you already have what you need to accomplish his will. Now, you may not feel like that. In fact, I think about this guy. Maybe you've heard of him. His name is Moses. Have You ever heard of Moses? Moses was a very interesting individual. Moses was born in a time where government mandates were ravishing the land. The mandate was, if you have a child under two years old, you need to slaughter that child. But praise God, there was a mama who didn't want to listen to government mandates, and so she hid her child. Yeah, you guys, feel free to read between the lines on this one, okay? <laughs> this is why we don't mandate anything. You know, what's, you know what's mandatory? You know what's essential? The church. And we're going to keep the house of God open. You can wear a mask if you want to. You can get a shot if you want to. But I just believe that God gave us choice. He gave us freedom. And that's the kind of nation we live in. And I praise God that there are people who are willing to fight for those freedoms. I praise God there's victories like we saw where there's government mandates saying if you got more than 100 employees, they got to do this, 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 and this. And there's been pushback against this and all that's been held up. Are you praying for our nation, friend? I sure hope so. We're going to contend to keep the house of God open. My wife and I have fought hard throughout this time to keep the house of God open. And praise God, the Big Island's been easy. I mean, it's been wonderful. I think we've got a good mayor in place. But you pray for that man of God. And you pray. All I know throughout all this is you may agree or disagree with things that are going on in different places. I'm just sure glad that God didn't call me to be a governor or to be a mayor. And so I pray for him. Amen. So Moses was in a time where there were mandates that were coming out, but mama decided to hide Moses, float him down a river, and, uh, and the Lord preserved his life. He grew up in a palace under a man who was a self-proclaimed God king on the earth. Now you just imagine a time where his people are in slavery. Moses has been primely positioned to bring liberty to the people. Isn't that amazing? And so you watch, and, and you watch as Moses grows up, and you can imagine it crossed his mind. God has positioned me to have influence with the king. He's positioned me to have influence to where I can really inspire change. But then Moses blows it. 
He walks up on an abusive situation. He sees a, he sees a, a, a master beating his slave, one of his brothers, and he intervenes and murders the man. He ends up fleeing his hometown. He ends up moving into hiding. And, and you know the story. He lives out most of his life in a wilderness. Meets a woman who he loves. Marries her. That creates problems for him because she is an Ethiopian. And his brothers, well, how dare you, a Jewish man, marry an Ethiopian woman? There were racial tensions. And I want you to think about where Moses is coming from. Because some of us, we do the same thing. We begin to think, I know that God's got a call on my life, but you don't know my history. You don't know who I'm married to. You don't know where I failed. I had a platform and I blew it. And we can look at all the reasons why God can't use us. Moses one day is walking through the wilderness. He is following a sheep up onto the mountaintop. And there he has an encounter with God. From the bush, the Lord speaks to him, Moses, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I have heard the cry from my sons and daughters in Israel, and I'm going to use you as an instrument of deliverance. I am going to use you to set my people free. And if you read the account, this is in Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4, Moses begins to go off on all these reasons why he can't. Did I mention, by the way, that Moses is 80 when he encounters God? We don't have a lot of gray heads or bald heads in this place, but uh, I just I want to say that if you're in your 80s, God may just be getting started with you. God may just be getting started. It's not time to retire. It's not time to stop and the call of God. No, he's still got something for you. Even if you've got a messy history or a messy family tree or your marriage isn't all figured out. Are you with me, church? So he receives this call, and he starts going through, God, I, I can't, I, I don't have the words, I don't have the family tree, I lost my platform, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, and God responds, I am. I need you to hear this, friend, because you're going to have all of the reasons of what I cannot do, of what you do not have, but you need to remember who it is that has called you. The I am has called you. And then he says, oh, this is my favorite. He says to Moses, this is the beginning of chapter 4 and verse 3. Moses, what's in your hand? You look at the talents. God says that he distributed talents according to your ability. He distributed talents according to the ability of the receiver. God knows what you can handle. He knows what you need. He places the call on your life. And all he's asking is, what's in your hand? I'm not asking what you don't have. I'm not asking what your brokenness is. I'm not asking about the connections you do or don't have. What do you have? And Moses has a great answer. A stick. And God's response essentially is, 
That's good enough. Let's go. And Moses, with the call of God and a stick, was used to deliver the children of Israel from captivity and slavery. God used a man and a stick to separate waters, to make, you know, to turn the, the waters into blood. I mean, you guys, just think about this. You, you've got more than a stick in your hands, don't you? What can God do? I want to inspire you to begin to dream about, God, what could you do with my life? God, how could you use me in this, in this community? Lord, what would you do if I surrendered my life and, and used what you've given me? Oh, my goodness. We need to acknowledge the call of God. God knows who you are. He knows where you come from. And he has built you exactly the way you need to be to fulfill everything he's called you to do. Now, the second thing is a faithful steward receives and releases. They receive and release. Everybody say receive and release. This is this is essential. We must learn to be receivers and releasers. I try with all my might to create atmosphere where you can experience God. Why? I know there are moments where one touch from God can absolutely change everything. One impartation, one moment of anointing, it can radically transform our lives. These individuals received the call of God and they received, if you will, an impartation. I'm giving you gifts. I'm giving you a call. I'm trusting you with something. Two of them received and they released. You know, that's how investing works. I've done good in the stock market this year. I'm up 49% this year with my stocks and investments. I just checked it. 49%. But you know what that's required me to do? I can't hold on to the money in my checking account. I have to release it. I have to invest it if I'm going to see an increase come back my way. If I just held on to it, I wouldn't have an increase. In fact, I'd probably be in the negative because I don't know if you're like me. If it's in my checking account, I'm going to spend it. My wife is going to see, hey, our account balance is this. I'm going to Ross. That's what she do. And so, uh, you know, so, but, I, but I invested. That's the way this works. You have to receive and release. You notice what the wicked servant did? The Bible said he was afraid and he hid the talent. He was afraid, and he hid the talent. One of the worst things that you can do, friend, is acknowledge that you have gifts, you have talents, you have abilities, you have resources, you have relationships, and you do nothing with it that honors God. It's a scary place to be in. But this is exactly what this man did. He had received wonderful things from the Lord. And what, by the way, a talent is not, just, is not just talking about a skill. Talent was actually a weight. Most scholars believe it was about 75 pounds of either silver or gold. 75 pounds. The master trusted all of them with a lot. One guy buries it. If we're not careful... We have a tendency to want to camp out in what God did. You'll hear people talk about, oh, back in the 90s, that's when the real revivals used to take place. 
oh, if we could just go back to the tent revivals. And people just live in the past and what God has done. And listen, you'll hear Dr. Morocco tell stories about the 80s and what God did and the 90s and the outpouring. But Dr. Morocco is still looking forward with more vision than I know how to wrap my brain around. That's why God is still using him, because he's not stuck there. He'll give God glory for what he did, but he's still moving forward. God, you're still doing something right now, today, and I want to be a part of it. You notice, man, if most of us were Moses, you know what we'd do? Well, before I go back to Egypt, I'm going to go back up to that burning bush and just see if I can have another encounter. Well, let me go back and see. Was there a witness there? Let's ask the sheep what they saw. It's like we, we need two confirmations and a dove and, you know, I'm going to trip and fall on a map and then I'm going to know that that's what God asked me to do. We have an encounter with God. We need to release what God has put on the inside of us. I read something just so goofy. I was studying for a message I, I may do next week or in a couple weeks about the Pool of Bethesda. You know about the Pool of Bethesda? Jesus is... Walking into town, it's a Sabbath day, God forbid. And he sees a lame man who's in need of healing. 38 years he's been sitting by this pool. And Jesus asks the man, do you want to be healed? He ends up healing the man. He's been sitting there by this pool where, as the legend goes, maybe this is, maybe it's real, maybe it's, it's fairy tale, maybe it was pagan, maybe it was God, we're not really sure. But apparently the reputation was that an angel would come down and stir the waters and the first one into the waters would be healed. If you've ever gone to Israel, you'll notice that they tend to build uh, synagogues or churches in a lot of these historic locations. Well, they've actually identified where they believe this uh, pool of Bethesda was, and they built a church there. This is not a joke. The name of the church that they build on top of the pool of Bethesda is Church of the Lame Man. Church of the Lame Man. What church do you go to? <laughs> That lame church, you know. Why? Why would we memorialize this? I mean, you know, you just, you get people. There's probably some guy who got Paul's handkerchief that was used to heal people and they started a church, the first church of Paul's handkerchief. We just have a tendency, we memorialize these things that God has done. But God never intended for us to camp out on those things. You realize Jesus came in, he healed this man, and then he left. Why are we going to camp out on the previous experience when the miracle worker has gone on to his next assignment? I want to stay with Jesus, man. What is God doing right now? This is where we always need to analyze, Lord, what have you poured into my life? And how can I do something with it? You have a gift. You have a call. You have an anointing on your life. There are people that God has designed you to move and minister to. Release it. Get a vision for what God desires you to do. And if you don't have vision, come talk to me. I'll give you vision, okay? I'll give you something to do. We've got so much to accomplish, and the time is short. I'm convinced with all my heart. Now, here's the last one. Are you, are you doing good today, church? Okay. The last one. Faithful stewardship results in multiplication. Faithful stewardship results in multiplication. Everybody say multiplication. multiplication. You'll notice that the two faithful servants, they received the talents from the Lord, and the Bible says they doubled. 
what God gave them. And by the end of the story, you'll see that the Lord, he actually, he, he actually says, you are faithful with little, I'm going to make you a ruler over much. This is the Lord's model. He doesn't just move you up by addition. Well, I'm just going to give you a little bit more, which, by the way, can I just... Dr. Morocco made a statement, and this thing stuck with me forever. I always wondered how year by year we get busier and busier and busier. We have more work, more to do, and it just... I mean, my wife and I just about die. And, uh, and then Dr. Morocco made this statement, and it all became clear. You read the parable of the faithful steward. Do you realize that the reward of God for faithful service is more work? You were faithful with that. I'm giving you more. You did a good job at Candy Lane. I'm giving you more. You're leading a good Bible study. I want you to lead another one. Yeah, keep that one going and, and do another one. Yeah, more work. Everybody say more work. That's multiplication. And I've watched as God has done that. We came into a very small church in Illinois. We had about 40 people. And then God grew that thing to 20 people. That's true. But then we watched as God multiplied it. And it's amazing, almost every assignment that we've taken from the Lord, we've seen not just addition to what God did with the original 40, but we've seen multiplication. And we're going to continue to see multiplication. And if you are faithful to receive and release what God has put in your life, you will experience multiplication. He wants to give you more. I know I drive my wife crazy because it's always about the next thing, bigger expansion. Why? Because I understand this concept. There is more and God wants to multiply and he wants to use us. Oh, it's amazing. Worship team, would you come? I got one more story and then I'm, and then I'm done. We're going to pray. We're all going to be faithful stewards. Amen? Faithful stewardship acknowledges the call of God. We receive and we release and we see multiplication. Well, there's an account in the Gospel of Mark. You'll see it as well in Mark, uh, in Mark chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 14. Jesus is preaching. He's ministering for a long time. There are about 5,000 men, and Matthew makes it clear that's not including the women and the children that were gathered together. Most scholars agree that there were probably in the neighborhood of eighteen to 20,000 people that were gathered together to hear Jesus minister. The disciples come to Jesus because the day is getting late and they say, Jesus, it's late and we need to send the people out to, you know, let them get home and let them get food. And Jesus says something that's crazy. Do you remember what he says? You feed them. You feed them. You do something for them. One of the disciples responds, Jesus, if we had a you don't understand how much this would cost. I don't even think the city could provide. How are we going to feed these people? They start going to excuse mode. But they have a call. Do this. Jesus asks a question. You'll see it in the, in the Mark account. He asks his disciples, what do you have? It's like the question of Moses. What's in your hand? 
I'm not asking how big the need is. I know. I'm not asking what you're able to do or if you have enough money. I know what you have. Tell me what's in your hand. And they say, we got two fish sandwiches. We got two pieces of fish. We got five loaves of bread. That's it. Jesus says it's enough. He takes the bread. He blesses the bread and the fish, and he hands it back to his disciples. I want you to notice something. Maybe you've never seen this, but read the story. He blesses the bread and the fish, and he hands it back to them, and he says, go feed them. All they have in their hands is those two fish and five loaves. But the Bible says as they distributed the food, it was multiplied. Notice this. The bread and the fish did not multiply in the hands of Jesus. It multiplied through the hands of the disciples. They heard the call, feed the people. They received what was in their hand, the bread and the fish. They released what God had entrusted them with, and as a result, they saw multiplication. Do you get it? Half of you get it. This is the way the Lord operates. And if we're going to be found good and faithful servants, what you need to do, what is the God-given vision? What does he put in my hands? And as you release it, God will bless it. You're going to see multiplication. That's how this works. You want to be found a good and faithful servant? Just do that. Well, would you stand? We're going to pray. We're going to ask the Lord to help us. We all desperately need help. You're going to see this is a theme. Moses, what's in your hand? I got a stick. That's good enough. Let's go. David, what's in your hand? I got some rocks. I got a piece of leather. That's good enough. Let's go, man. He asked Samson, what's in your hand? I got a donkey jawbone. That's good enough. Disciples, what's in your hand? I got some bread and some fish. That's good enough. What's in your hand? What has God given you? Don't ask, well, I don't have this, I don't have that. No, what do you have? God's going to do great things through your life. I want to share in just a, an exhortation that I received, and I, I hope this blesses you. When I first received the call into ministry, I was terrified. I didn't think that I was good enough. We hadn't even been married at that point in time when the door began to open for us to take our first church. We were asked to be senior pastors of a church when I was 21. This was a divided church, horrible church split. They had no idea what they believed, no bylaws, no nothing. And they asked a 21-year-old and a 20-year-old to come be their senior leaders. You say, what kind of church would do that? Probably a church that couldn't get anybody else to come. And I was scared. But I knew that God had called us. As I was talking to my my pastor, my mentor, about the fear and the, the reservations that I felt, and this is what he said. 
He says, Jacob, as long as you love the Lord and you're seeking him, hear me on this. You will never miss a door that God is opening. The question is, do you have the guts to step through the door? That's it. If you're seeking the Lord, you're going to know where to go and what to do. The question is, do you got the guts to say yes? You have all that you need. Hallelujah.